Awesome. Well, we're going to begin. The big story takes us from Jeremiah and into Ezekiel uh, this morning. And I've titled this series of four sermons from Ezekiel, Can I Have a Word With You? Can I Have a Word With You? Because what we're going to see is that the Word of God plays a preeminent role in the life of Ezekiel, and the Word of God is meant to play a preeminent role in our lives as well. So this morning, as we do with Jeremiah, we're going to see Ezekiel's call beginning in Ezekiel chapter 2. We'll read just through chapter 3, verse 3. And that won't cover all of his call, but most of it. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them... Thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house." But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. When I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and he had it writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning our desire is to hear from you. Our desire is to know, Lord, what your word has for us, that, Lord, our lives might be brought into greater alignment with who you've called us to be, who you have regenerated us to become, that, Lord, you would reveal to us areas of unfaithfulness, then we would surrender them to you, that, Lord, you would reveal to us areas of timidity, and that, Lord, you would call us forward in power and in courage, that, Lord, you would reveal to us areas of unbelief and faithlessness and today lord we would begin to endeavor a life of sweet communion with you lord that we would be able to face whatever this world throws toward us lord i pray for those this morning that may be living in the midst of despair that today from their despair perhaps even their self-pity you would give them their life's purpose and that lord you would set their feet upon the rock that they might bring glory and honor to your name lord would you meet with us this morning Would you meet with us? Would you speak through me? Would you prepare the hearts of my people, the hearts of all the children that are in our service this morning to receive the word? And like Ezekiel, say, it is as sweet in my mouth as honey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, this evening... We're going to have children that are going to be crawling over this church campus. And most of them are going to be wearing costumes. And that's really so much fun. All of us who are adults, we can remember what it was like wearing costumes. And what I think is interesting is if you slow down and you think about 
the nature of the costumes that our children will be wearing this afternoon, most of those costumes are probably reflective of the aspirations and the dreams that the children have for their lives at this point, right? That the little boys are going to dress up like Patrick Mahomes or Batman because they want to be the ones that break Mahomes' records or they want to be the ones that are jumping off the buildings in Gotham. I think that's my boy. We think about the little girls, they'll be here and they'll be dressed up as these beautiful princesses because their aspiration, their dream is that they would be the ones in the carriage riding off into the sunset with Prince Charming. Well, as I've aged, I've learned that adults dress up too. Adults like to pretend that we're somebody else also. Children dress up because they have dreams. Adults dress up because their dreams have been crushed. That we put a smile on our face even though we aren't happy. We project strength even though we're filled with senses of weakness. We buy too much because we want to have the illusion of success. We want to fool the world, but perhaps even more than fooling the world, we want to fool ourselves. And so we keep dressing up, trying to make ourselves feel better about the aspirations that have gone unrealized, the potential that seems to be no longer there, the dreams that seem to no longer have a chance. And if you find yourself this morning... Looking at your life and thinking, this is not where I thought I would be. This is not who I thought I would be. This is not what I thought I would be doing. Then you can relate to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a man that was born to be in the priesthood. He was born to be a priest in the house of Israel. And he would have spent his entire life preparing to be a priest and to minister to the people and to offer sacrifices on their behalf. But when he was 26 years old, before he had ever offered his first sacrifice, before he had ever taken part in his first service, before he had ever even been actually ordained in the priesthood, he has, he has marched out of Jerusalem in the second deportation on into Babylon where he would never return. That literally for Ezekiel, in an instant, in a single instant, every aspiration that he had, every expectation that he had for what his life might look like and what his life might become were immediately dashed and his dreams crushed. And I think that makes Ezekiel an especially relatable character in the scriptures to all of us. But what Ezekiel helps us to see is that even if our lives aren't what we expected them to be, and even if they aren't what we hoped that they would be, and even if we aren't where we want to be, that the Lord still has a place for us within his will to operate in a way that is faithful and to actually be able to flourish in accordance with his will. So I want us to look at Ezekiel and in the call that he has there in chapter 2 and I want us to see if we keep waking up in Babylon just like Ezekiel does how is it that we can live a life of faithfulness first I want you to see that you must embrace your difficult calling you must embrace your difficult calling none of us gets our dream in exactly the way that we've dreamt it none of us there are going to be children all across the campus that are all kinds of things, and most of them will never become those things. You dream of having a happy marriage or a joyful marriage, or perhaps you just dream of being married, and none of those things may go realized. You, you dream of having a certain number of children and having children that are healthy and, 
You dream of having children that love and respect you and admire you and obey you and honor you. You may not have children at all. And if you have children, they may be rebellious children or they may be uh, unwell children. You imagine having a job that is well-paying and filled with meaning and purpose. But most people go to mundane jobs that don't give them the lifestyle that they wish it would afford them. That one of the universal experiences of life is that our lives will ultimately disappoint us, even devastate us. And I've told you before, and I'm going to keep telling you, that our ability to cope with the disappointment and the devastations of life will ultimately determine our ability to be happy and content with what God has given to us. So here we come to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel has a life that way. We meet Ezekiel, the first chapter, the first few verses of the first chapter of Ezekiel tells us, in his 30th year. In his 30th year. Now this would have been a significant year for Ezekiel. You see, the 30th year in a priest's life was the year that he was ordained into the ministry. This is when all of his life's work would have come into fruition. This is when all of the preparation would actually be put into practice. This would have been the year that he was living for every year. You remember what it was like before you were 16, or maybe some of you were there, and you just dreamed of getting the keys to the car. In the 30th year, that's when the priest got the keys to the temple. That's when they were able to begin the work. But four years... Four years before he would ever know it. Four years before he could be ordained. Four years before he could realize the preparations of his life. He was marched out so that he began to wake up in Babylon. His life was a disappointment. And his 30th year, the year that we meet Ezekiel, would have been the most disappointing year of his life yet. You know what that's like, right? When you have a milestone and you expected a certain person to be there and they aren't there. When you experience a milestone and you thought it would bring you satisfaction, but it doesn't. When you, when you experience a, a birthday milestone or a career milestone or an educational milestone, only to realize that it isn't what you always thought it would be, that's where Ezekiel is. And so here on Ezekiel's most disappointing year, the Lord chooses to speak to Ezekiel. And the Lord takes Ezekiel's most disappointing year and he makes it a defining moment in his life that his life is going to be other than Ezekiel expected it, yes. But his life will not be without purpose. In fact, in fact, what we see here is that God has been sending him the whole time. And he said, this is God, said to Ezekiel, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. That the Lord has been in the backdrop of all that's been taking place. And it didn't catch the Lord off guard that Ezekiel wasn't where he wanted to be or doing what he wanted to do. In fact, it was in the midst of this hardship that the Lord was going to call Ezekiel out to the actual work that he had before him. That the Lord very often uses the disappointing circumstances of our life and the difficult circumstances of our life to position and prepare us for the real work that he has laid out for us to do. And it's important to notice that this is a hard work. This is completely different in almost every way than what Ezekiel had prepared to do. As a priest, Ezekiel was preparing to be a comforter to the afflicted. But now being called to be a prophet, to go and to preach to a rebellious house among a rebellious generation in a, in a foreign land. He wasn't called to be a priest who comforted the afflicted. He was called to be a prophet who would afflict the comfortable. 
who would let them know they have grown comfortable with sin that they ought not grow comfortable with. They have grown comfortable with a distance from God that they ought not grow comfortable with. To confront them in the realities and the depths of their depravity that he might call them forward. And it's going to be a hard ministry. He goes on, God tells him, he says, look, three times, he talks, rebels, rebelled against me, rebelled against me. There and their father, this is an idea of them revolting. Going the other, this idea of transgression. He goes on to say that they are a rebellious house. In fact, the Lord uses some very, very detailed language. He says, first of all, that they're impudent. Now, we don't use the word impudent very often. I don't think it's a particularly great word that the translators perhaps chose there for us to understand what they mean. But in the Hebrew, what this word is actually saying, if you were to read this in the original language, it would say that they were stiff faced they were stiff faced they they had a they had a, a an iron jaw they had a they had a somber look they were unflinching to the message of god and he goes on to say that they are a stubborn generation they are stubborn and if you were to read this in the hebrew it would say not only are they stiff faced but they are hard hearted that is ezekiel i'm sending you to preach to a generation that wants to go every way other than the way that you're telling them I'm, I'm sending you to preach to a generation that will be ice on the inside. And because they are ice on the inside, they will be ice on the outside. I am sending you, in other words, to a generation that will not listen to you. That God is sending Ezekiel to a ministry in which his message will be hated and in which he will be hated. It's a hard obedience that the Lord has laid out. For Ezekiel. It's a hard calling that the Lord has placed upon his life. It's not just that he lives in Babylon. It's what now God has called for him to do in Babylon. But you see, the Lord is making evident that there was a particular work that he had in mind for Ezekiel. That Ezekiel would have never chosen for himself. That will actually enable him to be of greater use and of greater effectiveness in the kingdom of God after all. That the Lord has been positioning him in just the place that he didn't want to be to do just exactly what he didn't want to do. So that he could do exactly what God wanted him to do. And to be exactly where God wanted him to be. That the Lord takes our places of deep, deepest disappointment and crushed dreams. And he allows from those ashes to emerge our life's purpose. I think about a close friend of mine. Close friend. He and his wife were expecting their, their, first, their first child, and they had all the anticipation. And when the baby comes, they recognize that there are significant special needs. Now, for every parent, I think that is an overwhelming fear. And for him, those fears were now being realized. And I watched as they cried and they wept over the reality that their lives were not going to be what they expected them to be. And their son was not going to become all that they had dreamed that he would become. Their lives were going to be fundamentally different. Their future was going to be fundamentally different. And it's a lot to cope with. And I watched as they tried to figure it out as a family and figure it out as a married, fa- as a, as a married couple and, and figure out what it was going to look like as far as their service in the church and their service in the world and the relationships that they have with other people and all the complications and all the complexities. What happened over time 
is though even though that's not what he was looking for and even though that's not what he was wanting what happened over time is he began to recognize that there was an entire community of people living right here among us that were going neglected uncared for and unreached and so it became part of what got him out of bed in the morning To be able to show other families with special needs that they have an advocate in their corner. To show other families with special needs that they are not alone. To show other families with special needs that there is a God who cares for them. And there is a a path forward in their life. And they can flourish accordingly to to go in and to, to show tender and care to the forgotten of the community. And he and I were talking about this one day. And I said, brother, it's just occurred to me. That sometimes God takes our worst nightmare to call out for us our life's purpose. I wonder in your life if you're resenting what God can use. I wonder if your life is, if you are filled with self-harm and you're filled with with self-loathing and you're filled with self-pity. If rather than being filled with resentment and self-pity, if you might say, where here in my life, in my disappointment, in my dashed dreams, are there opportunities for me to bring glory to the Lord? That the Lord has set before me a hard calling in the way of Ezekiel. But Lord, how can I embrace this hard calling to bring glory to your name? How can I live in the midst of this nightmare to find my life's purpose according to your kingdom? Well, if you're going to do that... You're going to follow, wake up in Babylon and follow Ezekiel's pattern forward. Then you're going to have to live with a peculiar courage. You're going to have to live with a peculiar courage. You know, courage is polarizing. Courage is polarizing. The people that we most admire are courageous people. And the people that we most strongly dislike are often courageous people. If you want to stand up, you're going to get shot at. You stand up, you're going to get shot at. To, to, to be a courageous person means that you have a decisive belief that leads to decisive action. And if you take decisive action, you can bet as strongly as you are for something, someone is going to be against you. And in that way, courage is a paradox, isn't it? That it's courage that makes all the difference, but it's courage that invites all the suffering. It's courage that endears us and brings about admiration. But it is courage that provokes animosity. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the most common command in all of Scripture is given here again to Ezekiel, a man that has been given a difficult call on his life. The most common command in all the Scripture is... Be not afraid, nor be dismayed, for they are a rebellious house. Be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid. Be of good courage. You can find this commandment throughout all of the scriptures. Because why? God is calling his people to have a decisive belief and to take a decisive stand. And when you have a decisive belief that leads to a decisive stand, it invites the opportunity for cowardice. It invites the opportunity for shame. This is why I think Paul phrases Romans 1.16 in the negative and not the positive. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he have to say that? Because he is tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Because being for the gospel, being standing for the gospel, brings about hardship and suffering in the life of Paul. This is certainly going to be the case 
for Ezekiel. God is calling for Ezekiel in the midst of a difficult life to have a life that stands against the generation, that walks contrary to the path that is common. You see, there were a lot of prophets in, in Ezekiel's day. Prophets. And these prophets had a premature prophecy with a popularized sermon. That they would go among the generation, and here's what they would say. This is almost over. This is almost finished. This is all, you're about to go home, everyone. We're about to go to Jerusalem. And what they would say is the Lord was just disciplining us for a little while because of what our dads did. It's easy to blame our fathers, isn't it? Because of what our dads did, we're going to suffer for a little while. But God gave Ezekiel a message that was contrary to that. God gave Ezekiel a message to go and say, no, 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 you're not going home. All of you will die in Babylon. And you're not just being punished because of your dad's sin. You're being punished in part because of their sin. But you're being punished also because of your own sin, which you refuse to take responsibility for. That's the kind of, ser- that's the kind of sermon that will get you thrown out of town. That, that's the kind of sermon that will shrink your church. People want to blame their dad. They don't want to take responsibility for themselves. But this is the message of Ezekiel, that they had to take responsibility and own what was happening. And the result is that God says, Ezekiel, you will suffer. He says there, he says that there will be briars and thorns. You will sit on scorpions. Well, that'll bless you, right? What's he say? You're going to preach? You're going to do exactly what I have for you to do. You're going to do it exactly where I have for you to do it. Except you're not going to be receiving parades. You're not going to get uh, pastor appreciation month. There's going to be no gifts from the congregation. Instead, you're going to be cut. You're going to be scratched. You're going to be stung. Brothers and sisters, that's what our mission in the New Testament often looks like. I think about Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus is preparing to send out his disciples for the first time. This training exercise for the Great Commission. And he says this, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I like the wolves' chances against the sheep, right? And here he is saying to the prophet, I'm sending you out as a prophet among the scorpions. That the life that I have for you is a hard life. The calling that I have for you is a hard calling. And it's going to require from you a peculiar courage. Now that shouldn't catch us off guard because suffering is always the context of courage. You see, everybody wants to be known as a courageous person. Everybody wants to be known as a courageous person. Everybody wants to be admired as a courageous person. But no one wants to experience the circumstances that require great courage. Because if you live in the circumstances that require great courage, you are living in the midst of circumstances that are going to bring a hardship and difficulty in your life. Most people don't want to take a stand at their high school because it comes at a great cost. Most people don't want to take a stand in their workplace because it comes at a great cost. Most people don't want to evangelize their family because it comes at a cost. We don't want to stand up because we don't want to be shot at. What may be interesting for us to consider is... That Ezekiel is essentially facing the same threats that we face in our culture. What are they saying to him? What what specifically is God? God says, don't be afraid of them or of their words. You know why we're not courageous? Because we just want to be liked. Because we just want to be accepted. 
Because we just want to, the world to approve of us. We want our social groups to approve of us. We want our neighbors to think highly of us. And so it's easier for us to just blend in. That is, all of us live with the fear of being canceled, don't we? We think cancel culture is a new phenomenon. Cancel culture goes back at least as far as Ezekiel, we can see. We know it goes to the times of Jesus. Why? Why was Jesus crucified? Jesus was crucified because he would not capitulate to the culture. Jesus was crucified because he would not capitulate to the desires of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. Jesus was crucified not because he was a bad guy, but because he stood with courage to say, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am the Savior of the world. I am the Lord that has come that you may have eternal life. And because he refused to stand down, because he refused to be quiet, he was ultimately nailed to a cross. Brothers and sisters, this is the threat that hangs over every one of us. Be quiet or else. Be quiet or else. Be quiet or else you'll be labeled a bigot. Be quiet or else you'll be labeled as ignorant. Be quiet or else you'll be excluded from the parties. Be quiet or else you'll not have any friends. Be quiet or else you'll not have any success. Be quiet or else you'll be on the wrong side of history. That is, our culture is hanging over the church. The idea that we can be canceled. But brothers and sisters, we ought to heed the word that the Lord has given to Ezekiel in a generation that sought to cancel him, in a generation that sought to silence him. The Lord said, speak my words. Stand up and speak out, for the Lord God is with you and you cannot be canceled. Now I want to be clear. I'm not talking about us living as angry people who fight venom with venom. I'm talking, the church should not be known as angry, bitter, mean-spirited people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us being the kind of people that fight bitterness with grace. I'm talking about us being the kind of people with love and with courtesy and with kindness. Go and stand and say, no, no, no. This is not, this cannot be because this is not God's design and this is not God's way. And I want you to flourish and I want you to be saved and I want you to be well and I want you to thrive. I'm not talking about meanness, I'm talking about resolution. That the church in the face of suffering ought to be resolute. If we're going to be resolute, how can that be? How can we live with this peculiar courage to live out this difficult calling? By savoring God's sweet communion. By savoring God's sweet communion. This week, we celebrate a little more than 500 years ago that Martin Luther went to that church door in Wittenberg and nailed to it the 95 Theses. Now, us, all products of the Reformation, we really take for granted what that meant probably to Luther. Luther, when he went and nailed those theses to the door, was taking a stand against the church, against the way of life of his people, against the government of his day. And by doing that, that meant he was taking a stand against his own livelihood. He was taking a stand against his own freedom, perhaps even his own life. That to nail those theses to the door was to at the same time say, whether I live or whether I die, I believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and I'll die with that. But what may surprise you is if you get to know Luther at all, you find out that Luther is not a particularly courageous person by nature. 
that, that Luther actually quite naturally was an anxious person. Not the kind of person that would stand down the man, you know. But Luther later on, he has a quote, it's my favorite quote of Luther's that I think gives us insight into how he was able to take the stand that he did. This is what he says, he says of whom shall I be afraid? One with God is always a majority. One with God is always a majority. The church may stand against me. The government stand, may stand against me. The generation of my peers may stand against me. But if God stands with me, if I am in communion with him, then I can face down all of hell itself because no one can be victorious over the Lord. You see, it's communion with God that gives the footing and the foundation for true courage, for good courage. For the kind of courage that is being offered here to Ezekiel. And what I think, this, this, this parable that Ezekiel, I've, I've told you before that in the, in the New Testament, Jesus teaches parables. In the Old Testament, the prophets had to actually live them out. And I think that's what we're having here when the Lord spreads the scroll out before the prophet. And he says, alright, eat the paper. And what the Lord is drawing out is that he's not alone. He's not left to his own devices. He spreads out a, a scroll before him and it's printed on the front and on the back. Now this was unusual. Usually a scroll was only written on one side. But here for Ezekiel is a two-sided scroll which seems to indicate a fullness of revelation or, or certainly a, a, an urgent word that was meant here from the prophet. And he even says what I see here is a complete book. It's the book in its entirety. It's all that God has. Now, he says that it tastes sweet to him, but it's strange that it tastes sweet to him because it's filled with bitter words, isn't it? There were written on it words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. So how is it that bitter words can taste sweet in the prophet's mouth? The prophet who's not where he thought he ought to be and not doing what he thought he was planning to do, but the prophet who all of his dreams have been lost and now he's waiting to go and marching with the scorpions. How is it that he can hear words of lamentation, mourning, and woe and say, this is as sweet as honey in my mouth? Notice the phrase. It comes up several times here. My goodness, I'm sorry. Son of man. In the prophecy of Ezekiel, son of man is used 90 times. The only other place in all of the Old Testament where son of man shows up is in the book of Daniel, which we know Jesus adopts to describe himself, and it means something a bit different than it does to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, when he's calling himself, being referred to by the Lord, and then referring to himself as the son of man, what he's referring to is his own fragility, his own weakness, his own inadequacy, his own insufficiency. That in other words, he's saying, I am just the son of a man. <laughs> there's nothing impressive about me. There's nothing strong about me. There's nothing, there's nothing particularly awesome about me. That, in other words, I can't do this. I'm insufficient for the task. That he's being referred to time and again to say, you're just a man. You're just a man. You, this is beyond you. This is bigger than you. You can't do it. And here, calling him son of man and acknowledging his fragility and his weakness, the Lord spreads out his prophecy before him and he says consume it 
In other words, I'll give you what you need to say. I'll give you the message. I'll give you what you need for your ministry. I'll sustain you with your daily bread. I'll make sure that you always have exactly what you have to be able to fulfill my plan for your life, my plan for your ministry. That the Lord here is spreading out, even though it's a bitter ministry, and even though it's a hard life, he is spreading out before him a life that will not be lived by the resources of Ezekiel, but a life that is to be lived by the resources of God himself. And for Ezekiel, it is sweet on his tongue. You see, I find it to be true that the bleaker your life becomes, the sweeter the word of God is to you. The bleaker the situation and the circumstances, the sweeter your fellowship with God becomes. You know what this is like when you're at the end of your rope and you don't know whether to go right or left or straight or back. You don't know how your life can amount to much of anything. And then you remember that there is a shepherd that walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. That you are not alone. That you have the presence of the Almighty and that one man with God can, is always a majority. This morning, we're going to join together at the Lord's table. We call that communion. We call that communion. Because this is one of the things that we are remembering as we come to the Lord's table. That my life is not dependent upon my resources. My life is not dependent upon my goodness. My life is not dependent upon my righteousness. My life is not dependent upon my success or lack thereof. My life is not dependent upon the the acceptance of my peers or whether or not I'm canceled by the world. My life is being lived solely by the resources of Christ. And his resurrection has proven that his resources cannot be defied. But I am living by the resources of my risen Lord who has promised with the Spirit of God. He is with me always, even to the end of the age. And at the end of the age, I'll be reunited with him to enjoy in bounty his resources at a level and a scale that I can't even begin to comprehend in the here and now. So we come to the Lord's table. And we remember the stripes on his back. That should have been our stripes if we were left on our own, but they were on his. We remember the blood that was spilled. It ought to have been our blood, but it was his blood. Because we are dependent upon his resources. And remembering that it was his resources that saved us, we remember that it's his resources that sustain us yet today. And so it invites us to obedience. Like Ezekiel, it may be a hard obedience. It may be a difficult call on your life. You may be today where you wish you weren't. You may be doing what you wish you weren't doing. You may be experiencing what you wish you weren't experiencing. But you can embrace the hard call of God. And you can live with a peculiar courage. Because the Lord is with you. I wonder this morning. When you come to the Lord's table. As we, this is going to be our time of response. Here's what I want you to do. As you prepare to remember the body that was broken. And the blood that was spilled. I want you to ask yourself, where is it in your life that you're not being obedient because of a lack of courage? Where is it that you're not being obedient because you believe that you don't have the resources that are necessary to be able to do what God has set before you to do? And as you drink of the juice and eat of the bread and remember the body and remember the provision of God, I want you to remember that if God provided you the salvation for your soul, that God will set for you the resources for your life. And I want you to say yes. Yes. 
Lord, wherever you have me to go, I'll go. Whoever you'd have me to be, I'll be. Whatever you'd have me to do, I'll do. See, that's what happens when we come to salvation, isn't it? You remember that. And as often as we revisit the Lord's table, what we remember is that's who we still are. That's who we still are. So this morning, don't just, don't just drink the juice because it's something we do. Don't just eat the bread because it's something that we do. Eat it in obedience and faith that you have the communion of Christ with you for the hard obediences that lie ahead. Let me pray for us. This morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.